Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, Restoration Church. It's great to see you. If, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, so the last three weeks, I, I haven't been preaching. Uh, my name's Nate Gagney, and I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church. And two of the, well, one of the weeks we were, uh, we were in Africa, uh, and so three Sundays, three Sundays ago, we were um, leading services in Mwanza, Tanzania. The next Sunday after that, I don't know where we were. We were stranded somewhere in the Middle East trying to get home. And then last week, I, I was here, but, but Ty Buckingham was preaching. And just a little bit about, about me and, and Restoration Church, if you've been new here in the last few weeks. My wife and I both grew up in Restoration Church. And so combined together, we have 64 years of being a part of this church. And uh, you're like, you guys don't look that old. Uh, actually, um, we both are senior citizens. Um, so... We are visible representations of living a godly life. It's just, man, it's it, from the inside out, right? It's beautiful. And uh, some of you are thinking the opposite. You're like, actually, the way you look makes me reconsider my entire faith journey. Uh, but, uh, and, and so we both grew up here and... Um, and eventually, uh, we got married. Uh, eventually, I joined the pastoral team here. And one thing about Restoration Church, I, I love Restoration Church. Um, I wear the merch. Um, I love being here. If I, I, if I didn't work here, I would attend here as proof to the fact that I attended here for about 20 years before I ever worked here. And uh, I just love it here. I love what we do. But beyond who I am and beyond what the church is called, we want you to meet Jesus. It's his name that's above every other name. It's his name that brings salvation and forgiveness and abundant overflowing life. And through everything else that happens in your time here at Restoration Church, we want you to meet him. So like the music, laugh at my jokes, really, really laugh at my jokes. But I want you to investigate Jesus. You're not a follower of him. You're not convinced of him. I don't want to try to convince you. I just want to tell you over and over again how much he's changed my life. And hopefully, at one moment in your life, you say, well, Jesus, could you do the same for me? And that moment will change your life like it did for me and my wife and my kids and probably the people who invited you to come here. He is good, powerful, amazing, and he knows who you are, exactly what you're going through, and... He's glad that you're here. And I am too. Um, we are three locations. So this time that we're preaching, we join all together in uh, Plymouth and Milton. We, uh, so we all join together during the time of preaching. And then in just a few weeks, on Easter Sunday, we'll be opening another location in Bethlehem, New Hampshire. And Pastor Stephen and Rinku are leading that. 
this, uh, they had their last interest meeting last night because it's almost time to open. This, sun, this Saturday, the 18th, is our last big public work day for that. And so if you've got nothing going on Saturday or if you have any plans, you can flex on Saturday. Uh, if you can make the drive up to Bethlehem and help us to finish putting in the final details for that, that would be amazing. So that's happening on Saturday. And we are very, very excited to see whose lives are going to be changed uh, through, this, uh, through this endeavor as we, as we seek Jesus and do what he's asking us to do. Uh, in this series that we're in, it's titled New, and, and I'm finishing it up today. We've been in it, I don't remember how many weeks, and we've been in it for five weeks, and this is the, the sixth week. There's been one verse that's been our uh, been our theme verse, and it's Romans 12:2. And I didn't tell them to put it on the screen, actually. Uh, but it's Romans 12:2, and it says this: Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person. And may that be our initial prayer: Transform me, God, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And our, the, the, we've been taking that verse, and every week we've been praying and talking about, God, change the way I think about, then we've been in a different subject each week. First week was change the way you think about yourself. And this week there was a conference I was watching, and, and a pastor, Darius Daniels, he said this quote, when the devil can't change what you believe about God, then his next step is to change what you believe about you. And now is our focus in that very first week, that he comes in with little subtle lies to, to, dis, to disarm us, to dismantle our faith, to keep us like, we have a belief in God, but we have no belief maybe that God loves you. We have a belief that God forgives, but no belief that he would forgive us. And he, he grips us and, and bears down on us through, through thoughts of fear, through thoughts of shame, through thoughts of doubt. And we are never able to step into what God has for us just because of how we believe about ourselves. We talked about, uh, Pastor Stephen talked about change the way that you think about church. Pastor Jeremy taught about the change the way you think about serving and Ty last week talked about, uh, talked about a new type of healing. Change the way you think about that lie, about that situation. Let Jesus transform that entire event. Our prayer this series has been in a very positive way. We've been asking God, change our minds. We're not coming like, like maybe Stephen Crowder or like others in in. in in culture, we say, this is my belief, change my mind. But we've been actually coming and requesting, God, will you change my mind? Will you transform my mind? And the interesting thing that I actually just, um, I, I was in a, a teaching on, on Friday night, and, and the speaker, um, Jim Van Yeperen, um, told us, the whole crowd is a group of pastors, he told us this, that the word metanoia, and I've got that on the, on the screen, it's a Greek word, that this word means two things, it means repent and it means to change your mind. 
that repentance and changing your mind are one and the same. It's, it's one word. We often think of repentance as just asking for our sins to be forgiven, but to repent means to change your mind. So if you're struggling with, with an addictive sin, maybe you keep looking at things on the phone you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe you keep, uh, you, you know, over eating uh, the, the free cupcakes, you know, leftover cupcakes from, um, from the food pantries. Um, that one was a little, I shouldn't have been so personal. Uh, the, what happens is we just feel guilty. I feel, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that. God, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that. But repentance is not just a, a turning away from sin, but, but our mind is changed. Our mind is changed. Jesus, I love you more than this. I believe that you lead to life and this doesn't. And, and our minds are transformed. You can say all you want you to change your behavior, but unless you change your mind, the behavior is not changing. Repentance involves not just external, internal in our heart and our mind. It is a personal and spiritual process to have your minds changed. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 16. And feel free to open up your Bible app to Google Luke chapter 16 to follow along with us. On Sundays, I read and preach mostly from the New Living Translation. So if you're on your Bible app, you can, uh, you can switch to that translation. And if you don't have a phone or you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll give you one for free. And also, for your convenience, I'll put it up here on this TV so you can follow along. In chapter 15, Jesus has just preached a very, fam it's a very famous passage of Scripture that you're probably familiar, even if you haven't really gone to church. He talks about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the, and the two lost sons, and He's preaching this message that, that, that we would change the way we think about people who are far from God. He's challenging us and he's telling us in Luke chapter 15 to change the way we think about how God responds to people who are far from God. And then he's challenging us to change the way we should think about ourselves if we ever find ourselves in a place where we are far from God. And if you're that person today, you're far from God. Your homework can be reading Luke chapter 15, even while I'm preaching, but you could wait until you get home um, to just see how much God wants you, how much he's after you, that all the sequence of events in your life that led you to coming to church this morning were not by accident at all, but it was his deliberate attempt to draw you to himself. And this parable that we're going to read in Luke chapter 16, it, it comes, you, you know, chapter 15 is beautiful. They're so beautiful and powerful and heart-wrenching stories. Chapter 16, I think, is one of the harder to understand parables in Scripture. It's one that can be misused. It's one that uh, you could even take this parable, and if you don't understand it completely, you could use it as a reason to be a, maybe a terrible employee or, to be, or, or even to sin. It, it, I think it's a little bit complex. 
So I'm going to read it to you. And even as I read it, you'd be like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? But we'll take time to understand it. Starting at verse number one of chapter 16, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man, and, and I'll just pause this. This is a fictional story with a spiritual truth, all right? So he's not telling a true story. He's telling a fictional story, trying to help us understand himself, his father, and the kingdom of God. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came, to, came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed him money to, who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my boss? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And to the next man, he asked, how much do you owe my employer? And he said, I owe him 100 bushels of wheat. Here, the manager said, take the bill and make it 800 bushels. The rich man, the employer, had to ad admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. What, you can look back at me, is Jesus teaching here? Is he teaching us to take advantage of our employers? Is he teaching us to make some back room deals to, to, to steal from our employers? Is that what he's talking about? And, and if you just read it and stop there, you may think like, perfect, this is exactly what I've been doing at work, and I felt guilty about it, but now I know Jesus put a stamp of approval on, on, on what I've been doing. And listen, we're gonna talk about this, but this is why it's confusing because this is not a conversation of workplace, workplace ethics at all. It is a lesson on giving. And you're like, what in the world? How are you getting that from that? Well, we don't wanna just, when we're looking and studying scripture, we don't just stop at what feels good. We wanna continue reading on. Jesus continues the conversation. And so the verses we'll continue to read helps us to understand what the parable was. Jesus taught him the parable, and then he has conversations with his disciples that he's explaining the meaning of what he taught. So that's one thing that we wanna do in scripture when we read the Bible, when we're trying to understand the Bible, that we don't just take a portion, but we look at it in context, that we look at it within the bigger picture of, uh, of what Jesus was talking about, and then we additionally look at it at the bigger picture of the whole of scripture. So is there anywhere else in scripture where it tells us take advantage of your employers and try to steal from them? No, in fact, scripture tells us thou shalt not steal. So we, we understand that he's, Jesus is obviously not telling us to go against the 10 commandments. So what is he saying? So as we move forward and study this lesson, 
<coughs> excuse me. When, uh, when we got back from Africa, I went to bed at like 5 p.m., slept the whole day, woke up. That first Wednesday felt amazing. By the end of the day, I was probably more sick than I've been in the last couple, in the last couple years. And uh, I feel good now, but still, unfortunately, because my, my mic's attached to my face, uh, I'm, I'm still coughing here a little bit, and I'll do my best to uh, hold it in. If, that's, if you see my eyes bugging out, I'm not, trying, I'm not getting a fiery preacher. I'm holding in a cough. Like, whoa, he's really passionate. Oh, well, that may be true, but I'm, I'm trying not to cough at you. So here's our prayer this morning. Romans 12, 2, change the way I think. If we're gonna be transformed, one of the things we're praying is God change the way I think about giving. Let's look at this again. Luke 16, 9. So Jesus tells the parable, the very next thing he says, here's the lesson. Perfect. He goes to the health store. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. This is the lesson. We're going we're gonna to talk through this, break this down, understand this. Use your earthly worldly resources to benefit others and make friends, then something eternal and something spiritual happens. If we begin to pray, God changed the way I think about giving, some thoughts you have could be thoughts that are honestly other people in the room and many other people throughout history have thought. You could think, if I give, I won't have enough for myself. That's a real thought and sometimes it's a math equation that doesn't add up. God, if I do this, I won't have this. And God doesn't call us, our, he doesn't, our, our giving is never a mathematical equation, it is always a spiritual one. And our spiritual principles always overshadow our earthly principles. Spiritual laws always are greater than earthly laws. We think that I already give enough. We could think that, um, you know, change the way I think about giving because I don't trust that they'll use it for good reasons. Change the way I think about giving because I think that I give my time and that should be all I have to do. Sometimes we think I can't give enough to make a difference. The problem's too big. My ability is too small. Sometimes we even think I tried it and it didn't work. I you know, I went to another church or even I went to Restoration Church and I did it for a while, nothing changed. The first part of Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. And so if we're people who are in Restoration Church and we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then we've got to make the decision to follow Jesus. And in the area of giving and generosity, we've got to follow Jesus, not what the world says and what the world does. So what is the world, what are the behaviors and customs of the, this world in regards to giving? The first is that really that giving is optional or that giving belongs to other, uh, other people. Other people need to give. What I do is my business. One of the things that is very interesting to look at is politicians and how they give. And usually around election time, there'll be reports and, and, it, and um, you know, the, it seems like uh, 
they're always talking about other people giving their money, but for themselves, none of them seem to really live up to that standard. During the 2008 uh, election campaign, our current president, Joe Biden, took heat because he submitted 10 years of his tax returns, and it showed that he and his wife had only donated $3,690 over the previous 10 years. So they're having an income of over a million dollars, and they're giving an average of $369 a year. So it's just an interesting way the world looks at this and the world's philosophy. The, the, most politicians, the ones who seem to be the most generous, they're giving about 4% of their income, and some of them are, many of them are millionaires, billionaires, and they are, um, and they're not giving at all. They're not generous at all. I want to share a little bit of personal information for my life and my family. And I go back and forth because I don't want to be a person who brags. I'm not trying to manipulate. Um, but as I wrestle with sharing some personal information this morning, I just felt that it's very important that you know that I'm not telling you to do something that I'm not doing myself. All right? So I'm sharing this information with you because I want you to know I'm living this out. I'm not trying to swindle you. I'm not trying to steal from you. Um, I'm living this out. If you look at Michelle and I's tax returns over the last 10 years, um, we've, over the last 10 years, we've given over $100,000 away to the church and to our denomination. We've given that away. And for five years of the last time, 10 years, we were a single income family because Michelle wasn't working. She was in school and we had babies and, and she wasn't working. So we've done that. We've lived that out. And, um, and uh, we've probably given over $100,000 in the last decade just to the church, just to Restoration Church. So again, I'm not saying that to brag. I just want you to know, for those of you who don't know me, for those of you who are questioning my motives, um, we give. Michelle and I give. The, another behavior and custom of this world is that giving is conditional. And this kind of, uh, and this is the thought where I only give where I can control. So within church, this creeps in where people say, I only want to give to designated projects. So I'll give only to the areas I like or only where I know that it's earmarked and it can only go toward that one thing. And that just kind of shows a, maybe a lack of trust in, the, in our church or in our church leadership or even a lack of trust in God. Another thing, a behavior and custom of this world is to, it's positional giving. And you may say things like, I will give when I have more from which to give. So my plan is to give in the future, but I need to have more in order to start giving. And I, and I just want to say, I mean, it is secular uh, statistics over and over and over again. So these aren't statistics that come out of the church. But across the world, the more you have, the less you give. That the most generous people are those who have less, not people who have more. And obviously we see this from our politicians who on average are giving three or 4% of their income. And again, I'll state this 
from a, uh, from a personal thing, not trying to manipulate you, but trying to be transparent with you. Uh, last year in 2022, um, our family, Michelle and I, and our boys gave uh, 30% of our income to the church and to our denomination. I'm not saying that to brag, I just need you to know that I'm not trying to deceive you or trick you. We're trying to preach God's words and God's principles, and these are things that my family is living out on a weekly basis. And I'm preaching these things to you that you would receive everything God has for you, not that I would receive anything from you. And I know some of you don't know me well enough to know that, but my mother-in-law is here in the room, and you can ask her. I heard a great joke about mother-in-laws just this morning that I wish I had time to share. (laughs) Maybe I do have time to share. What time is it? (laughs) The third thing here, the behavior and custom of the world has a critical thought of giving and that's why I've been sharing what I've been sharing. And the statement that you maybe have said and definitely that you have heard is that the church just wants your money. And you may be thinking that, like, why the heck did I come here today? I knew it, the church just wants my money. And that's why I'm sharing with you what Michelle and I have given, what we're giving, because you've gotta know if I wanted your money, I wouldn't be giving my own money here, all right? I'm a follower of Jesus first, and, and I want you to experience the great blessings that Michelle and I have. But let me say this, there are people who just want your money, but you know what I've never heard? I've never heard anybody say, don't go to Mohegan Sun, they just want your money. <laughs> that is exactly what they want, that is all they want, and you happily go there like, what are you doing? We're going to Mohegan Sun, huh? <laughs> you do know that all they want is your money. I know, it's gonna be such a good time. <laughs> or what about a restaurant? What about Dave and Buster's? What about Hilltop Fun Center? All they want is your money. And we have no problem with that. One of the things we've got to recognize is because anything that has a spiritual benefit for us, anything that is going to lead people to know Jesus, anything that God is going to use to transform our life, the enemy wants you to have nothing to do with it. Why is there such an attack on marriage in our culture? Because there's a promise and a blessing that comes with it. Why is there such an attack on on, on a nuclear family, on a mom and dad raising children because there's a spiritual benefit that comes from a mother and father who served the Lord together, who then raised children to serve and know the Lord. Why there's such an attack on giving and generosity? Because one, if the church doesn't give, then many will not hear. We were part of a, a group of churches called the Assemblies of God, and, and they are, we, are, we are missionary 
sending organization. And over the last hundred years, we've, we've been the leader in missions giving and missions sending across the world because it is not about us. It is always about those who do not yet know. It is our primary earthly responsibility. And I'll say this because I've, because I've been gone a couple of weeks and people have been asking me, you know, all the revivals going on. What's your thoughts, Pastor Nate? I haven't answered anybody because I haven't been sure what to say, but I'll say this. Any outpouring of God, it is not for our benefit. It's not so we can sing songs and feel good and be like, woo, look at ours, look at us. We are so cool. God loves us more than any other church. Anytime God moves, it is always, it is always, it is always for people who do not yet know. It is always. Every Bible study we have is for people who do not know. Every dollar we give is for people who do not yet know. Every sermon we preach is for people who do not know. It is our primary earthly responsibility. The moment we no longer have to reach people for Jesus, guess what? This age will be over. It'll be eternity. And in eternity, we will worship to worship. In eternity, it will be about those who know and about no one else. But right now, we've got one responsibility, and it's to reach just one more. It's to reach another person, to share Jesus with another person, that they could see him and experience him. So what does God want us to think about giving? Get ready to roll here. Three foundational truths. Number one, you've got to believe and you've got to know, I am rich. And I'm not talking about Pastor Nate here. <laughs> I'm talking about you. I am rich. This parable's focus is not about what I'm about to lose. I'm about to lose my job. I'm about to lose my job. But the focus is on what do I have to gain? Last week, our, our, um, our Kingdom Builders video, because it, it, it was me and, uh, and three other guys, uh, one of them on my left-hand side was Kasim. He was the one mocking me the whole time. <laughs> I got this privilege to go to Kasim's apartment. And I want to share a picture of Kasim's apartment with you. Kasim uh, here, two of the other kids who came, Asher and Charlie, who came on the trip with me, and someone's child who needs to be picked up. That's, that's the third thing here. How we knew in Africa your child was going to misbehave today, or maybe not misbehave at all, but, um, but need an assistance. Could be a poopy diaper. It could be like the diaper, you know, it goes up the whole back. You're like, call the, call the parents. I don't care what treasures or rewards I'll get in heaven. Not worth it. This is Kasim's apartment. Kasim shares his apartment with, with three other guys. So Benaya, MJ, MJ was our bodyguard who beat up the pitch, the, the, uh, uh, the pit pocketer when we were at the market, and another guy whose names I can't remember at the moment. Four guys live in the apartment. I just want to say this. This is the entire apartment. You see it. I mean, I'm standing up against the bed doing fisheye lens. It is four bedrooms in a single room. That's the entire apartment. These four young bachelors live in this apartment. You look at this picture and you've got to recognize, even if you're living in a hotel room right now, or if you're living in a homeless shelter right now, you've got to recognize compared to these young men, you're rich. You've got to recognize that. The average man in Tanzania makes 40,000 shillings a month. I'm going to cough again. Hold on. Oh, sorry that you have to live through that. 
Um, the average man in Tanzania makes 400,000 shillings a month. Uh, the exchange rate on that uh, per month is $17.15. So Kasim's not making $4 a week. He's a college student. He's not making $4 a week. He, he, he's, he doesn't have a job because he's in school. MJ, he works in the coal mine when he's not doing work for the church. Maybe he's, he's making that. Uh, Alicia, uh, one of the other translators and guys that's always with us when we travel, he and his wife are married. Their apartment is not far from here. It's pretty similar. They've got a curtain, a bed, and a speaker system. Alicia is the drummer for the church, loves music. They're living in the same, it's, them, it's the two of them and their baby, and they live in a, it's the same thing. A single room apartment. He at times maybe makes that, but so for him and his wife and his baby, he makes $4 a week. We compare ourselves with our neighbors and our neighborhood and we think, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. I wish I was rich. Maybe I'll win the Powerball, Mega Ball. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll make DraftKings. Maybe I'll win my fantasy football team. Maybe. I'll find $3 on the ground. I'm not rich, though. I'm not rich. I'm not rich. I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Change your thinking, please. Please change your thinking. You are rich. You are rich. If you, the statistic is a little bit old, but, it, but for a little while, if you made or your family made over $35,000 a year, you were in the top um, uh, 3% or 5% richest people in the entire world. If you make over 50,000 as an income, you're in the top 1% richest people in the entire world. You are rich. You have to let God transform your thinking about that because that one lie that you're not rich is keeping you from doing God's work in your life. Americans have possession of half of the world's wealth. The second foundational thought that you need to have is that I'm responsible. Luke chapter 16, verse number 10, the same, the same scripture. It says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Verse number 11, and if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, and we have to recognize everything we have, these are God's things. If you're not faithful with God's things, why would you be trusted with things of your own? The big word, the big principle that this is connected to is that of stewardship. We recognize everything we have as God's, how do we care for God's things? What are we doing with God's things? What does God want us to do with his things? I'm responsible. I've been entrusted by God to be one of the richest people in the entire world. How am I using that for his mission and his kingdom and to reach his sons and daughters who are far from him? The third thing is this, is that I'm rewarded. And he talks about this here in a second, but we come and we seek the rewards of God most of the time from a selfish vantage point. 
God, I will sacrificially give this thousand dollars, but what will you do for me? Before I do it, what will you do for me? Oftentimes we're looking for a dollar for dollar testimony, a dollar for dollar reward, or we're giving in a manipulative way, the same way that we gamble. I'm gonna put in this $100 for tickets and just gonna trust that uh, I'm gonna get the magic numbers and God's gonna give me even more than I put in. There's a better reward than getting money back. God provides for us in supernatural ways. Every raise you ever get it's God's blessing. Every tire that doesn't pop during the winter time when you hit those frost heaves is God's blessing. He blesses us in, in many different ways. Sometimes there's a financial return, but there is a reward better than that. Verse number nine again, use your worldly possessions to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Frankly put, giving leads others to salvation. When you give to benefit other people, what is he saying? They will meet you in eternity. Our giving leads others to Jesus. Our giving leads others to salvation. Uh, one Bible, uh, Bible commentary, the author writes this, but the plain sense of the parable points to poor, weak, suffering persons whom we have helped here. These then must be the friends who will receive us or welcome us into the world to come. I, I don't want to be accused again of people who don't know me of trying to say that I'm being emotional to try to manipulate so... Let me stuff my feelings like I did in middle school and, and I just say this, there's a great, there's a great thing when, when you see someone you know experience the greatness and the goodness of God. When they give their life to Jesus, it is absolutely the most amazing, wonderful thing you could ever see or experience. But there are other rewards. Kasim, you can put that picture of Kasim back up for me. I, I, I just love Kasim. I, since he was a little kid and I've known him since, how long have I known him? I must have met him in 2013, maybe the first time. So 10 years ago, he was eight years old. And I always thought that Kasim, and, and I always told everybody, he's young, young Denzel. I always thought he looked like Denzel Washington. And so during this trip, I wasn't expecting to see him, but got to see him a whole bunch of times, got to go to his apartment. Again, nothing that I was expecting. It was for me like the greatest part of the trip. And one of the nights after we, after we um, spent um, uh, a few hours at midnight in, uh, in a Tanzanian uh, prison, <laughs> I can't go into the story right now. Uh, we... We get home, people need water. And so um, they send someone at, it was, I don't know what time it was, one in the morning, 1.30 in the morning to go get us bottles of water. And Kasim's there because he hung out with us um, that night and he was helping see us home. 
And I noticed, like, Kasim is just about the same height as me, and he's wearing a pair of sneakers, and I just had this thought, and I said, hey, Kasim, what size shoe are you? And he, um, he, he told me, which was like in millimeters or something, so I translate that, and it was like a size nine shoe. And I'm thinking in my head, there's no way this kid is wearing a size nine sneaker. My freshman in high school is wearing a size 11 and a half. He's, and so I, I just said, uh, hold on a second. I go to my hotel room, and I, I've got Asher, my, my 10-year-old, he follows me. I grab my sneakers, I come back, I said, you don't have to take these, but if these fit, you can have them. So he, he tries them on and, and he puts them on, he's like, oh, they fit. And, and I check and like, actually his toes are like right near the end of it. So he was probably wearing sneakers that were three t- sizes too small. And so I'm like, yeah, you can have them. And so when we start walking back to the hotel room now, again, it's probably 1.45 in the morning, maybe around there, I don't remember exactly. And um, Asher said, Dad, you gave him your sneakers. I said, yeah, his were too small. And he said, that was so nice. And there's a reward from that moment of him seeing that. And I wasn't doing it so he could see it. I was just, because seems my friend. And I, it, it makes it easier for me to buy new sneakers because my, my wife's not like, you have too many. <laughs> and... And so we get to the hotel room. We, we walk to the hotel room, we lock the door and, and Asher says, who can I give my sneakers to? So giving leads others to giving and it's a great reward for that. I'm like, man, that's, you, you know, whoever. I don't know that anybody has your foot size there. A lot of the kids are getting older now, but he began to think about that. And then the next day when we're at the orphanage, he's looking at everybody's shoes and he's trying to figure out whose shoe size are his. Well, that night, as I gave Kasim his shoes, I, 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 you know, he, when he took off his sneakers and put on my sneakers, he didn't have any socks on. And I just think like, I forced my kids to wear socks because you know what sneakers smell like if you don't wear socks in them. <sighs> smells like youth group. And <laughs> so, Kasim ends up coming to the orphanage on Wednesday. And I, as far as I know, this is the first time he'd been back to the orphanage since we'd been there. So it was great to hang out with his friends. And, and so I had, I had gone through, I needed some socks to get home, but, but I had packed brand new socks for the trip. So I, I packed a bunch up and I asked him, hey, Kasim, do you need any socks? You know, and you'd think he'd respond like you'd respond if I'm like, hey, anybody want a pair of socks? I, these are clean. I've only been wearing them for a few hours today. You'd think he'd respond by that. But he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, okay, I got some for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, I don't know, at the end of the day, we're leaving and I had packed them in my backpack and so I said, hey, Kasim, I've got those socks for you. And Kasim, 18 years old, he jumped on me, jumped on me and he must be like 170 pounds, just fully gripped me, legs wrapped around me, gripped me. He said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Baba. And he said, thank you, Dad. And for the rest of that trip, because we saw him a few other times during that trip, every time he talked to me, he called me dad. And I would say to him, uh, Kasim Nakapenda, Kasim, I love you, which I've said to him many times since he was eight years old. And he would say, Nakapenda Baba. I tell you, it was an old pair of sneakers. It was a few dollars of socks. When I buy socks, I go to Marshalls and buy them on clearance. It was not a big money spend. I hate, it was cheap socks. And it blessed him in a deeper way than we could ever comprehend or believe. Giving. 
there's a reward to giving that's far beyond getting money back from God. I want you to change the way you think about giving. I'm way over time, but I wanna say this. Where does your giving go at Restoration Church? Um, it goes to reaching just one more. Obviously, there's our infrastructure and upgrades and, and just utilities that we have at our buildings, but it, it goes toward that. Repairing stuff, replacing roofs, fixing parking lots, paying the electric bill. There's no outside funding source. Everything that happens, we do ourselves. But what could your giving do to think beyond that? If you've never given before, what could it do? Restoration Church, we've started a nonprofit called Restoration Recovery. Last year, we purchased a home that we're gonna convert into a sober living home. We haven't given you much updates because there's not been much to update. We got stalled out trying to get the permitting process. But since I've um, been gone, um, we finally got the permitting all approved. And so the septic designs approved. Uh, the HVAC systems have now been changed. So those are all brand new, two boilers, two AC units. The windows on the front of the building that we needed for egress, those have all been changed now. So if you give, you're giving, it goes toward here locally, it goes toward salaries. Um, also, it goes toward opening that home as we've got costs uh, coming to eventually replace that septic system, eventually replace that roof, to furnish it and to open it. And hopefully at one point uh, in, the, in the next few weeks or next couple months, I'll say, we've got an opening date and we'll get to share that together. The other thing is um, the Center of Hope Orphanage, which is where we just traveled and we're traveling again next year, likely in May. If you wanna join us on that, I'll let you know as soon as we get the date solidified. They've got a request from, every orphanage in Tanzania has a request right now to add an additional 10 to 30 students to the orphanage. They've asked that of every orphanage in the country. They, they're just so overrun. Could anybody, we're asking everybody to take in 10 to 30 more kids to help us to get kids taken care of. And if you just begin tithing, you help us do this. Every time you give to Restoration Church, we take 10% of it and put it into our missions fund where we support um, the Center of Hope Orphanage. We support all of our um, Assembly of God missionaries and a few Christian, local Christian nonprofits that uh, we support. So every time you give, 10% of that is immediately going there beyond even all of our kingdom builders giving. So just by tithing, you allow us to do this. And if every person and family in our church would begin to tithe, which is saying, here's what I make, 10% of that I'm giving to God first. If every family in our church tithe, if every teenager in our church who works part-time tithe, I know many of our teenagers do, and I'm so proud of you, but we'd be able to add 30 kids to the orphanage next month. Takes, uh, 50 to $55 a month to add a kid to the orphanage, we'd be able to start that next month if we begin to tithe. Just from tithing, we'd have enough, just from the 10% we give of your 10%, we would call the orphanage and say, hey, as soon as you can get the 30 kids, we'll begin to support them. And they begin adding them in. Just from that. Change the way you think about giving. And I want you to truly to hear my heart because I know so many of you, I, you don't know me, I don't know you, 
You can question my motives. Listen, my wife and I live it out. We live it out. And, and I've got accountability outside of the church. Um, my tithe goes to our denomination. So if I don't tithe, they kick me out. All right, I'm accountable to that. But beyond that, we're, we're giving here because we believe in kingdom builders. We believe in what we're doing here. And, um, and I would tell you this, if you don't trust me, let me get to your church and a pastor you can trust that you can live it out and give there. Because I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get, help you to receive what God has for you. Will you close your eyes? And as you close your eyes, I just ask for you to forgive me for talking long. This is what happens when I don't talk for three weeks. That's why they try to make me talk over and over again. Like, no, you can't take a week off. It messes us all, all our lunch plans when you do that. But let me just pray for us. Jesus, I pray for Restoration Church. I pray for everybody here within it. You have called us to do more than just have a church service and just make things better for ourselves. You've called us to reach just one more. You've called us, according to Luke 15, to find those who are far from you and bring them back to their creator, to their father, to bring them back to you. And I just pray you transform the way we think about giving because if our minds could be transformed, what could you do? Who would you save? How many sober homes could you open? How many kids could we put in that orphanage? How many orphanages could we even start? God, your ability to fund your mission is only limited by us who are your stewards. And I pray you change our minds. Change our minds, Lord God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we stand to your feet. Can we sing for just a moment before Pastor Jeremy closes out service?